Okay. Uh, we're going to be all over the place, but I'm going to start just smack in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So <clears throat> when Annabella was little, and actually still she does it, but um, it was more stand out to us when she was younger, she uh, was a voracious reader. We could not give her enough books. She'd have them stacked in her, her bed at night. When she was six years old, she was reading the, the entire uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Um, <clears throat> she just, it was like food to her. She just ate it and ate it and ate it. Um, we went on a vacation, uh, a national parks vacation road trip, and we actually, we brought an entire stack of books that was part of our packing. And she, we had to stop at a thrift store in Utah to buy a whole big, huge stack of books. She just loves reading. But the older she got, the stories got a little bit more intense because she had, we had to always be careful of the stuff that she was able to take in because uh, she could read at a higher level, but that doesn't mean that she should have been reading those things. So we always, you know, we're very careful with what she read and everything. One day I walk into her room and she's in bed, and she's always up. She had her little night light and everything, and um, she goes, Mom, I story busted. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and I go, what do, you, what do you mean by that? She goes, I, I read the back. I read the, the end. I had to know how it ended. And I said, oh, Annabelle, are you going to wreck the story? She goes, no, no, I want to read the whole thing inside. I'm going to read the, the rest of it. I just needed to know that it ended okay. <laughs> and so today I'm going to story bust a little bit for you, Okay. So she, she wanted to know all the details of the book, but she wanted to be sure that the story was going to not be something that ended up being super sad or stressful, that was going to make her have anxiety. Maybe she chose she didn't want to read the book. So um, we want to know the details right now. We want to know the details of what the thing is. But I'm going to story best for you, and I'm just going to tell you the end of the story. Jesus is king. He wins, we win, uh, all things will be made right, but we do live in this earthly kingdom as well, and so we want to know what is happening. Um, but rest assured, we story busted, we know what's happening. <clears throat> the title of my uh, message today is The Two Kingdoms. So we know that we live in a, a, there's a kingdom of light, and there's a kingdom of darkness. And there's an earthly kingdom that throughout, uh, that is specific to history and time periods and uh, geography. Our history is not the same as somebody else's history that was born a thousand years ago. Um, but there's also a heavenly kingdom that is not dependent on time or geography or location, and it's all throughout the ages. And so we have things in common with this uh, heavenly kingdom, with people that, were, that are part of the heavenly kingdom from 6,000 years ago, from uh, 200 years ago. And so those things are, 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 we can see it, we have an earthly history, but we also have a heavenly one. So this prophetic passage that I just read to you in Isaiah speaks of the birth of a coming king, the Messiah, of Jesus' first coming. 
And, but I really want a story bust, and let's just go ahead and turn to Revelation. If we really want to get to the, the end, the unveiling, is chapter 20. Now, like I said, since I'm story busting here, this isn't a Revelation study, but I want to let you know we've passed all the things. The, the Antichrist has risen. Um, the, all the things that were happening, the, the churches have been warned. Um, all those things have taken place. Now here, in chapter 20, it's going to talk about the millennial reign. It says, uh, starting in verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. I'm going to come back to a few of these words later on, so um, keep in mind who's sitting on the thrones, uh, the first resurrection, and the second death. Just keep those floated in the back of your mind. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. <clears throat> So um, that's a good story bust, right? Um, from prophecy to prophecy, from Isaiah's prophecy to this prophecy in Revelation, there's a whole lot of details that are happening between the pages of this book. Um, in my Bible, I have, like a, I'm sure like how you guys is, have a little intro to each chapter and just give some historical information. And I just want to read um, just a little snippet of what my book says with Isaiah. It says, Isaiah is like a miniature Bible. The first 39 chapters, like the 39 books of the Old Testament, are filled with judgment upon immoral and idolatrous men. Judah has sinned. The surrounding nations have sinned. The whole earth has sinned. Sound familiar? Yeah. Judgment must come, for God cannot allow such blatant sin to go unpunished forever. But the final 27 chapters, like the 27 books of the New Testament, declare a message of hope. The Messiah is coming as a savior and sovereign to bear a cross and to wear a crown. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? So here we are. We could say, just like this said, that we, have, we are like Judah. We have sinned. The surrounding nations have sinned. The whole earth has sinned. And yet, once again, we are looking forward to this coming Messiah. Not for his first time, as it said in Isaiah, but for his second time. You have to look at what the condition was he's in when these things were being prophesied this is our hope 
I know I'm speaking like in a macro type perspective, um, just an overall uh, thing. And, and we want, we are living in a, a time where we want to know the micro, the details of where are we at, Lord, in your timeline? What are we doing? Um, and I know that we've all heard it before. It's that very cliche is, you know, we know the end of the story, so it's all good. And that's true. And I'm, I'm not taking away from that. But that doesn't mean that it makes it so that it's easy or not confusing for the times that we are living in. And, and what is our response as Christians? So that's the question that I've been having. Excuse me. The questions I've been praying about is, how do Christians respond in the times we are in? How do we even do this life right now? Uh, what is the balance between living in these two kingdoms? Knowing we live in a spiritual world, and knowing we are awaiting the king to come, um, and knowing we are citizens of heaven. We've been discussing uh, in these services that God's refining us and having to burn away any kind of mixed truths uh, that we might have. They might be doctrinal uh, or eschatological or you know, just different things that we've grown up with. And, and um, I'll, I'll confess to you, this subject has been something that I feel like I've been, I could, I don't know if I've been on the other side of the pendulum, but I've definitely been on one side of the pendulum. And the two extreme views of our, our responsibility as Christians politically as we are in this, uh, this world. And I seek truth and balance. I want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying um, and how to live within this arena of a natural world government while we are understanding that we are living in a spiritual government as well, a spiritual kingdom. So the two tra- tra- trains of thought I, I have, and, and I, God speaks to me a lot of times in pictures while I'm writing or something like that, I'll get an image inside my mind, is I saw this balance, this, this scale, and on the two extremes, I, I saw uh, words of a, a carnal approach, meaning natural, so don't get offended with my words. I'm not saying we're backslidden. I'm just saying there's a very natural approach, and then there's a hyper-spiritual approach. And these are the two extremes, and I'm sure that we all fit somewhere in here, right? And, and that's where we need to ask the Lord you know, to, to help us to have the vision to see what it is that we're supposed to be seeing and, and to seek that truth, and he's faithful to show us those things. But under these two sides, I could make out, like I, I, I quickly, the Lord brought verses to my mind. And so in my mind, on this, on this carnal uh, approach, I would say, let's just call it the natural, in the natural approach. Very seeing things in the natural and understanding from a Christian perspective, the political ideologies, right? And um, the verses that came to my mind were, be subject to governing authorities. Pray for all the kings uh, in high positions. From Psalm, blessed whose nation God is Lord. From Daniel, he changes times and seasons and removes kings. From Proverbs, if a ruler listens to falsehood, his officials will be wicked. These are truths. These are God's words, and they are true. But I also have on the other side, go to the other side, far uh, other side, and the um, arguments or positions I've heard during my Christian walk are render uh, unto Caesar what is Caesar's. My kingdom is not of this world. 
from 2 Timothy, to not entangle yourself with the affairs, if you were a good soldier, that you must obey God rather than man. And our citizenship is in heaven. We have two, those are truth, just like these other verses were truth. These are God's word and their truth. But we have to take both sets of these things where we know, and I'm sure that we've, we've maybe we ourselves have been in these positions where we're just trying to figure out and, and flail, kind of flounder, what is, our, what is our, our approach supposed to be? But we have to take those verses and have the whole counsel of God to understand what it is that, you know, to bring that balance in there. Because the truth is held within these verses and, and many more. These are just the ones that came to my mind quickly. Um, what I've noticed is that either extreme side of the spectrum subconsciously, maybe consciously, isolates the two kingdoms apart. The earthly from the spiritual. The temporal from the eternal. And like I said, we, we probably all land somewhere in the middle, and so we, we see the both kinds of things. But I, I want to make a, a point of the extreme so that we can see it for the purposes of um, illustration. So I see that either of these extreme views can be a tool in Satan's hand that can cause division. I mean, we can see it right now. Anybody that's on Facebook, you can hardly get, like you have, even among Christians, you know, there, there's, there's division of, is Trump good or bad? Is he the Antichrist or is he just, you know, is he putting there for God's uh, uh, purpose and glory? Never Trumpers, um, people that are, will die for you, Trump. So there's, even among Christians, is a, this stark separation. So on what I, one side, let me just call it the carnal, natural, where we're seeing things from a formulated approach to politics and what we know is good, because the word of God tells us these things are good, right? Is I see that people can lose focus. I see that they can make idols. They can worship an ideology. Um, they become more concerned with being right than righteous. They can lack discernment of the times because they're so dogmatic and they might struggle with seeing the times that we're in. But on the other side, I see mostly spiritual pride as, as something that could befall people. Um, ineffective. They just kind of float around like, well, I just, I'm not into it type of thing. And completely ineffective. They don't even, they, they get to the point where they don't even pray because oh, I'm not going to be entangled in the affairs, right? And they kind of check out of reality. So those are the two extremes. And the quote-unquote anti-political or hyper-spiritual, they are in danger of denying the reality of the fact that we live in a natural government kingdom. When we get so far on this side, we, we lose that focus. That we are still part, we have to take part in this part of history. We're here. So what is, what is, what are, how are we supposed to be in this time? That is indeed uh, intertwined with the spiritual kingdom. These two kingdoms are, are intertwined. You can't really separate them out. The carnal um, approach or political one is in danger of denying the reality that we live in a spiritual kingdom that is indeed intertwined with the earthly kingdom. So again, that isolation of the two on the extremes. So in 1 John we read in 2.15, don't love this world. In Romans 2.12, don't be conformed to this world. Um, I'll turn to John 17. 
uh, verses 14 through 19. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I have given them, he's he's, uh, praying for his disciples. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by truth. And we hear a lot of being in the world, but not of the world. And we can hear that uh, in pious, you know, a pious way. Being in the world is our location. We are physically in this world. We're not spirits floating around just only in a spiritual realm once we became saved. It's a physical location. We are subject to physical laws. We are subject to the rulers. We are subject to geography and time and historical events. And we aren't taught to be an escapist. We're in this world. Jesus says so. But we have to interact in a framework of God's creation and the fallen world. So we live in this world with heavenly character. We know the verses that talk about being an ambassador for Christ. What is an ambassador? It's an official envoy, especially a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government as a resident representative of his or her own government. We are citizens of heaven living in an earthly realm that we have understanding of a spiritual things that we are uh, living as with kingdom character. Our lives are intertwined between these two realities. We have a physical body, but eternal spirit. We are living in a physical world, but have an eternal purpose. We can't separate it out. Just like the humanity of Jesus Christ, he's fully human and fully God. We can't, he couldn't separate out the two things, right? People will have extreme views. I've heard, oh, Jesus was a pacifist. I'm sure, we, we've heard this before. Um, and I've also heard, well, he, he wasn't at all political. And although it's true he wasn't a Republican or a Democrat, we can read the book of Revelation and see that it's actually a very political book. There are things that are happening. The unveiling of the end times is based off of an intertwined kingdoms. A global antichrist, one world order, met with spiritual things happening because angels are, are doing things. They're blowing trumpets. They're uh, marking people. They're, there's these two worlds that are happening, things in the natural, things in the spiritual. But they're, they're physically taking place. And they act themselves, the things that are happening in the spiritual take place and act themselves out in the natural realm. But who is behind the physical, global, one world system? A very, we understand the spiritual entity, Satan. He's the master engineer behind these things. So how can we separate out our current global events that are happening that are political and take a stand that is, oh, I, I can't, um, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to see these things. Why? It, this is a political book. We understand that there's governments that are going to, to rise up. But we also can't take the other stand and have it be, um, this is a formula, this is the only way, because we have to understand spiritually the times in which we are living in. 
So <clears throat> let me go back uh, to those verses I told you we were going to come back to. Um, I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 6 again real fast. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what government? Is this only speaking of a heavenly, the heavenly government that is, you know, the new heaven and the new earth and, and that's his government? Um, well, let's go back to Revelation chapter 20. And when I was reading those, uh, a few verses, I said, pay attention to these words. In verse 4, <clears throat> chapter 20, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the com- judgment was committed to them. Who's sitting on these thrones? Who's the judgment committed to? Well, we have to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, so if you turn to Revelation 2.26, this is the letters to the overcomers. And um, this one was to the corrupt church. They're given instruction and they're given uh, things if they don't obey what's going to happen to them. But they're also given a reward. What happens if they overcome? And in 2.26 it says, And he, this is Jesus talking, He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him... I will give power over the nations. Okay? Let's turn um, also to Revelation 3.20. Again, this is a a word from Jesus to the overcoming church. It's the dead church that he's speaking to. Um, Wait, no. Is it... What did I say? 2.20? Oh, sorry. Let me... um, I said 2.26. Let's turn to 3.21. And this is to the lukewarm church. Again, he's, he's, giving, he's telling them, he's giving them instruction, telling them what they're doing wrong. And in 21, he says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So these two things that are talking about in Revelation 20, when it says, uh, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, is, is a fulfillment of what Jesus was saying, that if these people, if, if you overcome, these overcomers, they're the ones that are receiving these rewards. They're sitting on the throne. They're given power to judge nations. Is that in the earthly realm or is that in the spiritual, heavenly realm? Well, since we're in chapter 20, it's talking about the millennial reign. So the new heaven and new earth has not yet come. So this is a natural thing happening with the authority of Jesus Christ reigning in a government uh, situation for a thousand years, right? So verse 6 from chapter 20 says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. If you go to Revelation 2.11, again, a word to the overcomers, to the persecuted church. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So Jesus is making it clear what the second death is, when it's happening, um, because in, in chapter 20, it, it goes on to say that Satan is locked up for a thousand years. He doesn't get to deceive the nations, but he's going to be released after a thousand years. 
and he's get to deceive the nations again. Well, if this was all just only in the heavenly, how is he deceiving the nations? How are we judging nations? So we have to look at these things as uh, there's still a, a lot of time, like the book of Revelation, the uh, apocalypse, it's the unveiling of. We have this idea of Revelation, ah, you know, an Armageddon. It's just the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of these things to us. <clears throat> so during the millennial reign, Jesus has a real kingdom that he is using real people to judge real nations of the earth. It says of the earth, Gog and Magog. And I have to just point out, side note here, when we went to Israel and, and got to see uh, the land in which this is supposed to take place, you, you get this different sense of, wow, this is a physical place. This is a physical thing that's going to happen. And you just imagine battles and everything. But every movie, Hollywood blockbuster movie, has like this big epic scene. And really all it says is, they went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city. Oh, and fire came down and God devoured them. Like there is so anticlimactic in how God takes care of them. They gather, phew, you're done. Like there's not even, there's like one verse there. So <laughs> good. And Satan's putting into the, the lake of fire and everything. Um, so... This is a physical realm on this earth. We have the entire Bible full of these worlds, uh, realms, if you want to call them, interacting together. We have to be able to see, truly, the intertwining of these two things so, so that we could have balance of understanding the natural realm in which we live. But we have to have the spirit to guide us in the times that we are living in. Just like this verse over here. For who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, right? So um, I labeled this kingdom clashings um, on this next portion here. And you guys, this would be a great study for your family. But I, wanted, I was thinking and praying about different places where we see the kingdoms clashing like this. And in the Old Testament, this is just a few. We have Esther. She was married to a king. And she was to save the Jewish people. God used her in a physical realm for a spiritual purpose. We have Daniel. He was taken captive and made a chief governor and served a king. Again, living in a, a physical realm, physical things happening to him. He physically was put into a den, a, a den of lions, um, but for a spiritual purpose. We have Joseph. He became second of command of, uh, next to Pharaoh commanding all of Egypt. He was put in charge of a physical, natural realm that had spiritual purposes. Uh, kingdom clashings in the New Testament. The easiest ones are, I see the disciples Jesus and specifically disciples Paul. Jesus was subject to the governing authorities. You remember, Herod was the one that built the second temple. Herod was the one that was, because he was threatened by this, this prophecy of this coming king, and since he didn't understand it, he had just a natural mind, he didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom isn't of this world in that way, he had the babies destroyed, the massacre of the innocents, because his political reign was in jeopardy. A physical reign to him was in jeopardy. He was also brought before Pontius Pilate, a governing authority. Paul, he appealed to the government authorities using his Roman citizenship. 
so that he could be heard before Caesar, a governing authority. We always have these ideas, I think, um, <laughs> that it's so, it is, I see myself, I've done this before, where I separate things out. So when we think that we're going to be persecuted for the gospel, for Christ's sake, John on the island of Patmos was there because of his testimony. They just looked at him like a political prisoner is all. The people in China and the underground church, they're political prisoners. They're not, they're not considered, yes, they're doing something against their government. That's what made them go to prison. So I, um, the kingdom clashings after the New Testament. So we can say, well, that's, you know, the Bible. Mary Slessor, she was a diplomatic emissary who, was, who changed the laws of how they dealt with twins um, and, and their practices. And she was actually known as, I think, uh, the queen of something, like uh, the white queen or something like that a governmental position that she was used from a spiritual perspective to save the lives of children. William Wilberforce, he was involved politically to abolish slavery. George Washington, he was used of God to revolt against a tyrannical government. And we know the stories of him where he was shot and there was bullet holes in his his jacket, and yet he wasn't killed. God spiritually protected him to bring about his his spiritual purposes for the founding of this great nation. But it was a physical thing that was, he was really in physical battle. Um, Truman or Abraham Lincoln, he was used of God to quell a nation divided by civil war. Truman, he accepted the Balfour Declaration, acknowledging in 1948, the state of Israel fulfilling prophecy. A, A human man, a president in this position declared, yes, this is a st- fulfilled a spiritual prophecy, intertwined. And then, of course, Trump has been used in protecting Israel. He's moved the embassy back to Jerusalem. He has been doing peace talks in the Middle East. He has been used of God. Whatever our opinion is, he has absolutely been used of the Lord. And how do we know this? Well, because it says that uh, if he was the Antichrist, people would hate him or or love him everybody hates him so to me i'm just like okay check that one (laughs) there's not even all christians can agree so there's many many more of these kinds of things it would be a great family bible study to study those things out but let's talk about kingdom clashings of like i said political prisoners paul jeremiah joseph king uh jehoiakim samson richard wormbrand brother yoon the, the list is endless. They are political prisoners. And if we are in a place where we're going to be put into prison for our, the sake of the gospel, we'll just be considered political prisoners. It's just underneath a governmental reign. We are not separated from either realm. Our involvement and understanding and the balance and the nature in which God has made us is part of this whole story. Because of the blood of the lamb, we are able to be born again and our spirits are alive and we can have eyes that through understanding his word, by studying his word, by communing with the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, and discerning what we're supposed to be doing in the natural, train us to be operational in both realms, not stuck on one side or the other, denying the existence or the reality that we're intertwined. We can't separate these things out. 
Everyone is influenced by both these realms. Even if you do not believe in a spiritual realm happening, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not, you're still influenced by it. Who puts the thoughts into the minds of these people like Hitler and Stalin? Who puts thoughts in there? It's Satan. He's the master engineer. It affects government, earthly kingdoms. So as we wait for Jesus' second coming to rule and to reign for a thousand years, um, I want to encourage in Luke, it says, let me find my place here. Luke um, chapter 21, verse 36 says, watch, this is Jesus saying this. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We are supposed to be praying to endure as these things start to come to pass. In Psalm 34, 7, I want to leave you with an encouragement and an instruction. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and deliver him, them. We see this so beautifully portrayed uh, for us in 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, the king of Syria was making war with Israel. Uh, the king is basically asking, who, who's, who is this for the king of Israel? And the servant says, nah, nobody is. Like, your words are being, your words, the prophet Elisha hears them in your bedroom while you speak them. And he's telling the king of Israel, this prophet Elisha is doing this. And so, again, a colliding. Here we have a natural king who is like, who's, who's telling him? Who's spying? Who's, who's going out and being the, the mole and, and giving our information away? Nobody. Here's a prophet of God who hears what you say in secret. So um, the king becomes afraid and then sends out a great army. And it's full of horses and chariots and they surround the city. And um, I love this story. I think such an encouragement. And... Um, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. These were spiritual angels, the, the army of God on the mountainside. And his eyes had to be opened to the spiritual to see it. And he was fretting because what he was seeing was just the natural realm. Praise God. We don't live just in the natural realm. We have a spiritual, a, a, a God who, who sends his angels. It says that he encamps. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. I just get excited about that. So when the Syrians uh, came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike the people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So here they had physical blindness given by a, a spiritual uh, word from, uh, from a prophet. <clears throat> what an encouragement. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe and, and understand and see 
And we should be praying, Lord, open our eyes. Let us see what's going on in the spiritual. Why? Because this is heavy stuff. As I speak to Christians, it feels like everybody's holding their breath. We're all exhausted. We're all waiting. What's going to happen? What's Trump going to do? Is Biden going to get in? And that's because we're living in this natural world in this time that God allowed us to live in. And we don't know. But we, we have to have our eyes. We can't be on either side of the spectrum. We've got to have our eyes open so that we can see what is happening, the timing of the Lord. What is this about? So here's my instruction. Get before the Lord and ask him if you've fallen into either of these two extremes um, that can cause you to lose focus, make idols, become fearful, lack discernment, or on the other side become um, out of touch, ineffective, prideful. Ask for balance and then heed the words from Joshua chapter 5, uh, verses 13 and 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite with him, opposite him, with his sword drawn in his hand. So here Joshua is standing there. Here appears this man. He has a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua says to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Who are you for? And the man says, Neither. No. No. Was Joshua God's servant? Yes. So why didn't, why didn't this man, the commander of the, the host's of army, say to him, Yes, I'm for you, Joshua. He didn't. He said, no. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. What did Joshua do? He fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now, remember, all throughout Bible, we know that people that fell down to worship angels, they were corrected. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm just a, a this or a that. So we can understand theologically this is pre-incarnate. Uh, Jesus is what most people uh, come up with. He's being allowed to be worshipped. And then he said, the ground is holy. Take off your sandal. Commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's not look with natural eyes for the Lord to be on our side. Are we asking the wrong question? Joshua asked a question that seems pretty common sense. Maybe it was the wrong question, though, because the answer he got was, no, I come as the commander of the Lord's army. His eyes were opened as soon as he said that, and he understood, and he fell down on his face to worship the Lord. His spiritual and natural uh, worlds collided. They're intertwined. This real person standing before him had a sword. It was a real sword. And he asked, what do you say to your servant? I'll point out that for each battle that God gave them, Joshua, they had to have a new battle plan. They had to inquire of God for that specific battle plan because when they didn't inquire of God, they were defeated. We need to understand that. We need to have a battle plan from the Lord that we're inquiring of him the same way that Joshua did. 
Not, are you on my side, God? I think I'm on your side. I'm doing all the right things. I'm righteous. We're, we're upholding all the, the laws of the land that should be in, 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 with integrity and morality. It's true. So was Joshua. But the way that the, he was answered was no. I come as the commander of the Lord of hosts. Can we be like Joshua knowing uh, he's, he was ready to battle um, and he's doing so for God's people, but the commander of the Lord's army doesn't say that he's an enemy or a foe. He says, I'm the commander. Let our response also be like Joshua's, with our eyes opened to the spiritual, that we would also um, fall and worship and then ask, what would you have your servant do? That should be the cry of our heart right now. As we are faced in this time, it's very confusing. But one, we are living in a natural and spiritual kingdom. They're collided, they're intertwined, we can't separate them out. God has a purpose for each one of us. He's going to have us affect uh, people and realms and our sphere of influence in different ways. It could be at your job. It could be if God has called you into a political office. It's clear that he does that. So that's my prayer is that we will we'll ask the Lord in this time, what would you have your servant do? Father, we just come before you and we just thank you. We thank you that you have the examples in the word of God to show us that Joshua didn't know. You, it was standing before him, and his eyes still didn't see it until it was declared, no, I'm the commander of the Lord of hosts. Lord, help us. Show us if we are uh, anywhere within these two extremes that you call us, that you want to put your finger on those areas of our lives to burn out the, the dross, to bring it to the top, to refine us and to purify us. Lord, that we would have clear vision. Lord, and that we would truly be able to ask, what would you have your servant do? In Jesus' name, amen.